Come on, Freddy's Kitchen in Station Street for a coffee and something nice to eat. Yeah, the pizzas are great. In fact, all the food rates down at Freddy's Caram Station Street. Come on, come on, come on, down to Freddy's now. Come on, come on, come on, down to Freddy's now. It's a pizza. It's a mystic pizza. I'm Ilana Rasbash, and this is Radio Architecture. Good evening from beautiful Bunurong country. I'm so lucky to be living, working, playing and broadcasting to you live on Radio Karam from this ancient, wonderful place. Tonight's guests are from the Edithvale Collective and I'm super excited to have them joining me in the studio tonight and especially grateful that they've made the time to be here and all our listeners have made the time to tune in again this week to Radio Architecture with Alana Rasbash because I'm sure everyone's champing at the bit to watch the soccer tonight and cheer on the Matildas as we are too. We'll join every, everyone in Australia, no doubt, watching after this conversation. So welcome back again and welcome tonight to Kira Lee Ashworth Collette and Michael Cummings of the Edith Val Collective. Kira Lee is a commercial photographer for interior designers, property developers and lifestyle brands. She has been a local resident of Edith Vale for the past 13 years and a member of the Edith Vale Collective since it was founded in 2017. She has a passion for community connection and beautifying and caring for the spaces we live in. Michael Cummings is a former journalist and newspaper editor who now manages the communications and external relations for a large corporate in Melbourne. He has lived in Edith Vale since emigrating from New Zealand in 2016 and has been involved with the Edith Vale Collective since 2021. Welcome to you both. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. This is a real treat. <laughs> it is for me too. Yeah. I, I really like it. It's the, it's the highlight of my Wednesday. It's, it's no longer a hump day thing. <laughs> Wednesday is an exciting night where I get to have really interesting conversations with people from all across our community. And it's great to have a, two faces. I mean, the listeners can't, can't see you, but we'll, we've had your headshots up on Instagram. It's good to have some faces to the group that is the Edith Vale Collective. Yes, that shadowy group of faceless people working behind <laughs> the scenes. But You've got yeah. a cool logo, though. We do. I'm not sure who designed it, actually. Yeah, it was a former member who doesn't live in Edith Vale anymore, but they were real key parts of um, designing that logo. Graphic yeah. designer, yeah. Good graphics and good design go a long way. Mm. Okay. Well, Kira Lee, I'll ask you my first question. What's your earliest memory of a building or place? Um, I'd probably say my family home, which uh, my dad designed and um, it was a really beautiful home uh, with a long home that ran down the block and uh, all the windows, lots of the windows faced north and floor to ceiling windows that let in lots of light. Um, and it was quite a sectional house, but um, in the middle of the home, the heart of the home was our family room and kitchen and dining and um, there I had a little special area. It was a lime green plastic table and chairs where 
I made lots of things, <laughs> made a mess. Like Cut- a craft zone? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Cutting and pasting and sticking and constructing and I suppose that's maybe where um, my creativeness started, I think, and my passion and what feels feels right to me, yeah. I love that. Mm. And how about you, Michael? What's your earliest uh, memory of I, building a place? I think for me it might be the Helensville Rugby Club where I grew up in small town New Zealand and, and it was still there. It's not a remarkable um, piece of architecture by any stretch of the imagination. It's just this large rectangular sort of hall. Um, but in New Zealand in the little 1980s and, and 1990s, it was the hub, you know. So Saturday was just full of kids running around, dads having a beer and um, mums catching up and all those sort of uh, stereotypes and tropes that um, define that time. And and so for me, it was just this place of absolute freedom and it was surrounded by the Mackenzie Hills, which were these beautiful sort of sheep farms that rolled on for kilometres as far as the eye could see. And it was just so idyllic. Um, but for me, that place is sort of etched in my brain and the smells of it too are really conjuring for me. And I, I was actually just coming up to the studio. There's a footy training going on outside and I got that smell of liniment and grass and it just took me there straight away. It was really quite remarkable. Um, and so that's really my early memory of just that freedom of being on a Saturday and there's no rules or time to be back just running around and, and having the time of your life. Oh, that's wonderful. What a, what a nice moment. And as you told that story, I thought, well, that's just like the Roy Dorr Pavilion here in Carrum. That's an absolute hub for communal activity. Exactly. I think that the architecture and design here is slightly more uh, advanced um, and commendable, but it's definitely similar, similar smells at least. Lovely. So t- tell me about the Edith Val Collective. What are some of your core goals? What's your mission? Well, they're probably, I, I think the... The beauty of the collective is our, our sort of goals have been quite narrow and specific. We haven't tried to identify every problem or gripe in the community and jump on it. We've really been quite focused. Um, I haven't been um, with the collective since the beginning. I've sort of been in the last two or three years. But what um, sort of appealed to me was that the focus was always on how do we revive the shopping strip? So how do we um, activate space and um, try and do what we can to bring more life make it more attractive to, to retailers. And we've really quite doggedly focused on that. I think one of the, the goals that is adjacent to it and related is really about access to public space. Um, and obviously those two are sort of inextricably linked. But um, we've really just kept our eye on the ball as much as we can because I think the, the, the risk or the temptation when you're a community group is – you know, you pick up on every gripe on the local Facebook page and like let's pounce on that and you're sort of chasing your tail a bit. And so, you know, we have been approached by people about other causes or issues and we've been pretty disciplined in saying, look, that's not us. Um, we don't want to be against every development or sort of be a NIMBY group. We're really just focused on that one cause. And I think that has helped us sort of forge a brand and an identity that has kept us on the track. Definitely. We discussed that this last week on this program, the idea of setting very specific goals and targeting that quite narrowly. And often that's a, that's a bit of good common ground to bring people together. So how much interest is there in your group? How many members are involved? Uh, so currently there's seven members and um, I'd say the wider community is also a member of the Edith Vale Collective, the way they um, join in and 
give their helping hand whenever we ask for it. It's, it's amazing who in the community have skills and professions that if you just say, hey, we need a little bit of help with this or that, uh, they go, yeah, sure, we can do that. Mm. Yeah, and even with our key members, we have so many different skills. It's really amazing. Um, Jono and Jesse, they run uh, Edie Grocer, which is an amazing hub and heart in Edithvale. Um, they just think outside the box and really think about everything in a sustainable way. Um, Sonia, she's amazing. She's a, a professor at uh, in economics and it can do amazing things with data mm. and analysing things, which really works well with the council, not just coming in on an emotional level, coming in on that real data kind of focused way. Mm. Backing it up, backing up all those points. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah really backing up those points with um, doing surveys and speaking to people before and after we've done things to see how what we've activated and done has affected people. Mm. Yeah. And I, think, and, I was just, and I think one of the reasons the collective works is people sort of drop in and out. Um, you know, Sonia had a baby recently and so I just had to step away and, and people go through those, you know, those ups and downs of life where they have a bit of time or they don't have as much time and we, we don't really have a hierarchy we don't have regular meetings and um a real strict structure it's really quite organic and and fluid and i think that's why it sort of worked is that people aren't sort of getting bogged in oh we've got to have a meeting on the first tuesday of every month and can we someone approve the minutes it's really um we go through sort of bursts of activity and then there might be times when things are a bit quiet and that dipping in and out just makes it work for us yeah, mm. yeah it makes it that you don't have to put energy into things sometimes when that's just not where you're at in life and then other times you've got bursts of energy and ideas happening yeah. and people come along with you at that point. A lot of us have young kids as well, so there's always a, a juggle. But um, we'll And I want to mention Ash as well. Ash is a fabulous member, very organised. Can She's do. the heart and the soul yes. and the sparkly life. She, um, You might see Ash occasionally down at Edervale Beach running a silent disco or... Um, dressed in sequins at sunset and she's just an absolute delight and a real energy and driving force of the collective. And Nat, Nat as well, who's a newer member and she just knows lots of people in the community and also who to contact in council about certain things and she just is one of those people who knows the right person. So I think we have, and of course Michael and myself here, but Michael has come in recently and worked on all the communications and he has a, a really calming way of settling things and thinking about things in a really strategic way and yeah mm. I think we're a real we all come from different professions and lives and it kind of just really works in this really organic lovely way it's fantastic I'm definitely hearing it a lot from advocates that I have conversations with who say that pacing themselves and are quite earnest that the, the time that they have available for things actually fluctuates and that's human and that's normal yeah, absolutely. And absolutely. progress takes time and that it's slow. Mm. Congratulations on sustaining your group since 2017. Yeah, well, I, my first experience of the collective, I wasn't involved with it, but it was when they activated the Beeson Reserve. Um, I think the, the uh, collective was awarded a grant from council around placemaking. And so there was this fantastic sort of community gathering in, in Beeson Reserve with sort of activities and painted chairs and... Um, and lots of data driven as well. So the collective was really focused on how do we gather data on what people want. So one of the things that can be a barrier when you go to speak to decision makers is 
sort of speaking in hunches or anecdotes um, when you can go and say, well, look, we've actually spoken to the community. We have hard and fast data that says this is a priority for them or this thing that you're pursuing is not a priority. Um, you just get a lot more cut through. Um, and so I think the, the collective has been really successful at building credibility and relationships with decision makers. Um, we've been sort of annoying when we have to be, um, but generally really constructive and, and that's borne fruit, I think, over time. Tell yeah. me more about that project, Kiralee. You would have been involved in that one. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, so it was run by Co-Design and it was funded by the Maya Foundation. And um, Jono, I was getting a veggie box of Jono and Jesse at the time and another one of their um, veggie box recipients um, got um, some information about this program and we applied and we got in and then we just asked other people in the community and they came along to um, workshops in the city and they run facilitating how we would um, activate spaces for a short period of time and then show the council what happened and hopefully that would mean change in the future. Like a pilot project. Yeah, to try and test our ideas. So, yeah, we activated the park, like Michael just said, and we also put out trader seating and made a mural and added some plants to the planter boxes and we also had another big part that was really important to us was bringing the community together and getting to know your neighbours. So we had a really big open opening day. We had 200 people and it was raining and everything. So we were really excited by that. And Ash organised mini events where there was yoga and storytelling and that sort of thing. So, yeah, that was the creation start. And I think none of us knew each other at the time. We were all just neighbours like slightly connected by John and Jesse's shop. But I think now I'd call everyone some of my closest friends, which is amazing. And it's just lovely to know that you, you might feel full in your heart by your amazing family and your friends and your work colleagues and maybe you have interests. But when you feel like a deep seeding in your community and relationships that you're like, I could just ring them if there was an emergency and they'd be here at any moment or... They're, they're, they're my support network in that really local level and I that really means a lot to me to feel connected to my community. That's really lovely. Mm. But this is really a testament to the power of connection to place. That, that's what drives your passion as well, isn't mm. it? I just want to ask quickly about the mural before I read a text we've had come in. Is is that the Relax You're an Edith Vale mural that was painted and, and now painted over for advertising? Yeah. Um, so there was a, a really big, strong thing for us is in identity in Edith Vale because it's a very small suburb, a very tight-knit suburb, but people kind of just drive through or ride through or walk through and think it's kind of situated between Aspendale and Chelsea and some shops are named Aspendale, this or that, even in Edith Vale. We really wanted people to know this is Edith Vale. So we said... That was why it was, oh, relax, you're in Edith Vale now. So the idea was that we just put the mural up for a while as a bit of an activation. So, yeah. Yes, and the mural disappeared recently, which is <clears throat> disappointing. Yeah, the community was quite upset about that on, the, on yeah, all the Facebook groups. there was. And um, I, I guess we were sort of philosophical about it in that, you know, um, the landlord had given us permission to to do the mural there so we're grateful about that and there was an understanding that when he wanted to go he wanted it to go um and i guess the thing that was perhaps a bit um bemusing for us was 
it was just white for a long time. It was painted over. It was sort of indicated to us that there might be some advertising coming, but it never arrived. So there was a bit of confusion around what was going on. Um, and then I think there's a real estate mural uh, adv- advertisement that's on there now. And that um, real estate company sort of gave an undertaking uh, on Facebook that they would sort of donate the rest of the wall for a mural for the community. Um, I haven't seen much more detail about that Um did sort of follow up with them to see if there's any more information yeah. so we just have to quite literally watch the space <laughs> i'd love to see uh, some more street art go back up there we've had a text come in from jeff from edith vale it's great to see the collective gaining traction and being acknowledged the community around edith vale has done a great job coming together and showing the council how it should be done oh that's very very kind i, I think um picking up on graham's comment around our success with the council. I mean, it um, was a very long road, um, lots of frustrations, um, lots of times where we kind of felt like we had to do everything. (laughs) You know, we were doing someone else's job. Um, But also the flip side of that was, I think we were really gratified by the fact that if you stick at it, um, you can get results. And I think it's kind of like the key message from our organisation and what I sort of try to tell other people is that, People underestimate how much influence they can have. Um, People think that decisions um, cannot be influenced by small grassroots community organisations and we're sort of living proof that it can be. I think we went through a phase where we were kind of being pushed from pillar to post. You know, the council would say, talk to this organisation and they'd say, no, talk to the council and then you get sent and you kind of would go on a bit of a wild goose chase. But we kind of realised that part of that was bureaucratic strategy <laughs> it wasn't wasn't um coincidental uh, and i sort of felt like we did reach a tipping point where you know councils and people in positions of power sort of realized we weren't going away <laughs> and and all of a sudden things fell into place um and they felt like we were an organization they could deal with so i suppose our massive project um and and key uh, success has been securing funding for the upgrade of the shopping strip. Um, that has always been our focus. And so when that money was allocated last year, $2.3 million was allocated um, to upgrade around 800 metres of the shopping strip with new pavers, seating, um, murals, street art, things like that. Um, that was um, you know, a real coup for us, um, And but has also started our new process because that's an arduous thing to work through as well. So we're now working closely with the council as they work through concept designs, as they engage traders in the community. And and uh, we realised that we didn't actually reach the finish line. We just found another start, starting gun. <laughs> it's always like that. It really is. We've had even more text messages come in. The phone's, the phone's absolutely running hot and it's probably a, a testament to how much the community appreciate your work and tenacity in this space it's this one's from saskia she says edith vale is so lucky to have this community driven group to advocate for local interest so impressive to see the impact they are having 
And oh, it, thank you, Saskia. And another one's come through. This one's anonymous. It says, I saw in the newspaper the collective managed to secure, there we go, we've just discussed it, secure the funding and finally improve the shopping strip. What a pack of legends. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you for all your text messages tonight. And for, for those that haven't been able to find the number, I'll just read it out for you. It's 0493-213-831. Please keep those messages coming. And you still have a bit over 10 minutes until the soccer starts. So... <laughs> Yeah, we're going back to a bit of what Michael was talking about. I think it has been a really long road and um, at times we felt really frustrated because there was lots going on at Edith. We got a new life-saving club, a new fire station and, and a new train station and we were really hopeful at the time that the footpaths could be done at the same time. So that's we were bouncing a lot between council and trying to who was going to fund it and um, I think we always really approached it in a positive way in a polite way, in a professional way. And I think that's really fundamental to our group, that we want to go at things um, respecting everyone who who are the decision makers. And, um, yeah, I think that's what we have with Kingston Council now. And I think when there was a change in councils back in 2020, um, we had a lot of luck with Steve Stakos being mayor at the time and connecting us to the right general managers. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think... That was a real big pivot point for us then. And, yeah, and I think um, we're sort of fortunate we've got to a point where the, the council see us as someone they can consult the community through. Um, so, you know, the council is really focused on engaging with community and they see us as an avenue that um, we can tap in now. We have a large social media audience and we have, I suppose, a brand for want of a better term that people know who we are, um, which is really gratifying and quite humbling. Um, sometimes... A, do you feel like saying to people, we're just sort of six or seven randos <laughs> <laughs> yes. meeting on Zoom occasionally? Um, it's, it, you often meet people down at the pub who think the EFL Collective is like this 150-strong And like, we're going to do something with the $2.3 million and no, no, that's left for the professionals. We're just vacating yeah. for what we think um, the community needs and chatting to people and really taking from that data that we got and that maybe the council don't need to just come in and tell the community the way something's going to look, that maybe it comes from within and we communicate to the council what's what we feel is needed and then I, and I think that's going to come out with the best um, end product, especially around the shops. David from Edith Vale has just said, these guys have been brilliant for the Edith Vale community in bringing people together and improving the local environment and commercial strip. We are lucky to have them doing things on our behalf. No, thanks, David. That's very kind of you. Um, And, yeah, I guess we've always been on the view with the shopping strip that, you know, when the the collective formed, um, it was pretty bleak. Um, I think anyone who's... Brave, brave enough to walk down <laughs> the Edith Vale shopping. It's pretty crusty. There and look, there are literally some people who say, I, you know, who might have mobility issues or are a bit older say, I, I literally avoid the shops because I've had a fall and I don't feel safe. Um, and that's just, you know, a, a completely unacceptable state of affairs and completely unaccessible as well. There's, yeah, there's com- nowhere near compliant. No, not at all. And um, you know, there was when I moved to Edith Vale in 2016, there were just so many empty shops and it was looking all pretty moribund. Um, there is, I think, been 
green shoots in the past sort of 12 months, two mm-hmm. years, the, the arrival of Bogurks. If you, um, any craft beer lovers out there, if you haven't discovered Bogurks, you're missing out. And we've so had I'm, the owner, Jared, yes. on this program as well. Oh, um, Amazing. Yep. Re- remarkable man and a really community-minded guy um, who's been super supportive of us. But you've had businesses like that turn up. We had the ice cream shop turn up, <laughs> which was a real uh, a real coup. And so uh, we're seeing some of the the ones that have been empty have been renovated. So landlords are looking to lease them. You, you, I think with any shopping strip, you just need to reach that tipping point where you have two or three sort of core traders, uh, and then other people see an empty shop and think this place is on the up. And what our hope is, is that once we get, you know, the shopping strip sorted in terms of the paving and seating and the aesthetic, um, that, you know, it'll be all downhill from there. What does the future hold? Now that you've, you've had this main coup, the main objective is, is, is achieved and underway in a sense, like the, the process has commenced and yeah. des- design documentation, construction, that all that'll certainly takes a while. So. It's not it's not quick. So um, I can mm. give you a sort of brief update on where the shopping strip project is at oh, now. So we met with um, the mayor and the key staff from council about six weeks ago. Um, they showed us sort of the look and feel designs that they've come up with, um, the kind of vibe that they're going for, which we were really supportive of. Really beachy, um, bright colours, sort of like Lego style seating um, uh, that we think sort of will just really pop. Um, they've taken their sort of look and feel designs to traders, shown them to them. They've asked for feedback from traders on what are the priorities, you know, what are things that are really important to you? Is it accessibility? Is it greenery? Is it what are the things that are going to um, work for your business? They're taking that feedback away now and um, working on concept designs, which they'll then go back and have one-on-one meetings with the traders on. So who are the landscape architects involved in this one? don't know, actually. Yeah, they were talking about because it's on a really wide pavement where they can place trees and how high they can be. There's, there was, I'm sure, there's lots of thought. We, we put forward lots of ideas with mm. parklets and all sorts of things about how we can get people connecting with the shops more and being there. Yeah. yeah. I think the challenge with them is space. So with the awning, they sort of can't do large trees, but they do have sort of confined... Um, plantations planned um, which they've shown concepts to us Um, what they have discovered though through um, looking under the hood is uh, anyone who's walked down the um, the Nepean Highway when it's raining um, will probably already know there's no stormwater so you have downpipes coming from businesses that are going absolutely nowhere and that's part of the problem you can see in in the paving that's sort of sunk in places so um, council, to their credit, have stumped up an extra million dollars to sort the stormwater. Um, that is a good thing, but it's a double-edged sword because um, that will likely lengthen the project. There's lots of complexity and then how they stage um, the works along the shopping strip. Um, there's not a lot of space under the footpath because of all the services that are already there. So that's going to be an extra challenge in terms of um, where they put the stormwater. There's all sorts of regulations around what they can discharge out into the ocean and things they can't do. So that's added some complexity to it. Um, I think it will make the project um, more time-consuming. Um, but there will be, once the, the consultation with traders is complete, a community consultation process as well. But we're really not likely to see construction start until 
2025, maybe even 2026. When are we likely to see sneak peeks of the concept design? I think um, probably in the next two to three months. Um, that So that concept design hasn't been done yet. They've just done the look and feel sort of concepts. But um, they will be going to the community late this year, early next year. So we'll... Um, will be sort of uh, key in letting the community know how they can get involved in that process. So if you're not following our Facebook page already, just keep an eye there. You've broken my text message record on this show, guys, because <laughs> Louisa has texted in and said, please pass on my thanks to the Edith Vale Collective for making our suburb beautiful. We love the colourful street signs they made. Oh, thanks, Louisa. And a fun project. AKA yes. mum. <laughs> and another message has come in from uh, our previous anonymous texter and has said, I hope the council take responsibility for the lack of maintenance on this area and support the local traders doing this restoration of the strip. I think that's really a testament and, and it connects to the idea that the squeaky wheel gets the oil. And if you're passionate about where you are and you're passionate about your community and you're doing this hard placemaking work, you're doing this research and you're coming to them and saying, guys, this is the fact, this is the evidence this is where we're at. This is what we need. It's not safe. It's not fit for purpose. It's not accessible. And that's been a key insight for me is actually just how responsive council is to things like bad publicity. Um, you know, we had a uh, many people in Edith Vale and beyond will remember the summer lounge that we had. Uh, we didn't organise it. Um, a guy named Rogan O'Shaughnessy who had the Crowded Hour Cafe set up a bar in, in the Beeson Reserve and it was a fantastic success. Um and he worked quite closely with council to get that um, over the line. It was sort of during COVID times when they are encouraging outdoor dining, things like that. And council staff were really supportive, but got to the last hurdle and he got told no, um, uh, which was really deflating for him. Um, we sort of managed a bit of um, publicity in the local paper and, and once that appeared on the front page, um, within 24 hours um, there was a, a bit of a backflip and... Um, it got the green light with a couple of conditions added. So um, for for me, that was really illustrative in the sense that um, council will respond quite quickly. Someone quite high up saw that article and phone calls were made. Um, but it also told us a lot about how councils can work sometimes. And we were lucky to have a follow-up meeting with the CEO. Um, and I raised that point with him and I said, look, this situation could have been avoided if there was a culture of yes. Um, and what we find sometimes is there a culture of no. So the starting point is we can't do this or this can't be done. It's not how could I sit down with this cafe owner and say, hey, look, what you've applied for, the hours you've applied for, they're not going to fly for X, Y, and Z reason. But if we change it here and there, we can get this over the line and get a success. And if you have that culture of yes... You don't need someone to go to the local paper and you don't have to have the embarrassment of having to tell your boss at the council that, oh, yeah, that's um, on the front page of the local paper because we didn't have this sort of dexterity to think outside the box and come up with a solution. Culture of yes. That's a real, that's a real testament mm. and a really wonderful idea, I think, to, to hold and centre and, and think about for anyone running an organisation. Yeah, and I'm sympathetic. To, I mean, um, I, I work in the aged care sector and, and, and council similar in that when you work in sort of a highly regulated environment, it's easy to become real risk adverse. So it's not about 
how do we make this community better? Um, how do we avoid breaching some law that's going to end up, you know, we're going to end up in court? Or, you know, how do we just keep the trains running on time without rocking the boat? The problem with that is it's really hard to get really significant transformational change in a community if you're just trying to avoid mistakes. <laughs> oh, absolutely. We, we discussed this on the on the program before, um, particularly in our public toilets episode conversation a number of weeks ago, the idea that you shouldn't just design for this lowest common denominator and think the worst of people because people will surprise you and people are amazing and they're gen- generally inherently good. We'll step up to the plate. Totally. Had, had another text come in from Gillian. Enjoying the chat, wondering if reusing the materials that have been in place on the strip for a relatively short period may be part of the council plan. Good question. I think there was a new park bench put in, but I don't know what else was new. I don't, I, everything's pretty old. Um, they haven't been doing anything because they know that change is happening. So I don't, yeah, you'd need a. I don't know if an archaeologist could find anything that's vaguely new in there. But um, yeah, it's sort of brick pavers is what makes up and it's a bit of a patchwork because there's so many broken there's spots. asphalt and concrete and brickworks. It's a mosaic of yes. sorts. <laughs> there's but, a local primary school that wants them from a craft project or, yeah. or something like that or that there's a reuse. I mean, yeah, to- we'll certainly feed that back to the council. But I totally agree using things that have place from the original um, place is often really nice. So yeah, I don't know if they're going, there's some blues, lots of blue stone around all of the um, garden beds. I don't know if they're, what they're reusing. We haven't seen the fine details of what's going on. Mm. So yeah, we look forward to it. But I, I know on the Life Saving Club when they redid that, um, they used some of the old stained glass windows and you can see that the font is on all of the doors and everything is like being inspired from that. So it's a really beautiful connection back to yeah. the old life saving club. So it's wonderful when things like that happen. Because they hold the memories. Mm. They, they just seem like a material or an artefact, but it holds a memory and yeah, it's association. A, it's a wink and a nod and takes people back to a time and a feeling, doesn't it? Yeah. So what do you love most about Edith Vale? What has probably started this passion for you? Definitely the people. And I think because um, it's such a small suburb um, and has that kind of tight-knit village uh, feeling about it. And I think if you do live in Edith Vale, you feel really proud to be an Edith Valeum, I think. I know I am. And mm. just that sense, I really feel like there's a sense that when you walk around the streets, people smile at you, nod at you and um, really want to help each other out. Whenever things go up on Facebook pages, I just feel like the community wraps its arms around each other and, yeah, I think that's a really beautiful thing. And then on a physical point, I mean, it's amazing. It's a wedge between the wetlands and the the beach. I mean, Mm. (laughs) that physical... Um, being able to get out there and enjoy both things within walking distance of your home. Like, how lucky are we? Having those natural two natural features on each side, sort of wrapping the arms around the suburb is really... And it, it gives sort of a sense of containment too, I think. You sort of know, mm. or I think at least hope, that the wetlands aren't going to be turned into a resi development or anything. you've got that that natural space. Oh, their their rams are listed under the 1985 yes. International Convention. So for those interested about the wetlands or the Edith Bell or Wetlands Discovery Centre, um, we have an episode on this program as yeah, well. That we that we did uh, early in conversation with Jan van Skyk. Mm. What, what do you wish 
most pe- more people knew about Edith Vale? Sometimes um, when you're out and about just talking to people in Melbourne, just where it is. It's such that a we small exist suburb. is probably, I think, <laughs> and, <laughs> we have low goal. We wish more people knew we actually existed. I think that went, goes back to like wanting a real identity by it and I think the identity, we're really hopeful that councils listen to us on that about the signage or the artwork or that was part of our idea behind the mural that when you're in Edith Fowl, you know you're in Edith Fowl. It's, yeah, really important to me. And the colours connected back to those beach boxes that we have along the sand all the, all the way through. So I think, yeah, and the colours they're talking about, I think more of a like a pastel kind of ice cream, gelati, you know, sand and water, sky, those kind of emotive feelings I think is what they're going for. So, yeah. Okay. That's, that's a good hint. That's a good little <laughs> scoop. Ooh. Ooh. Quite literally. <laughs> I wonder if there'll be any Edith Vale orange in the scheme. I've observed this particular bright and almost vermilion orange creeping up in buildings. It's the big challenge, isn't it, I suppose, with any architecture is how do you create something that's sort of lively and bright but isn't going to be dated in about 18 months? So how do you sort of create something that's going to endure and not look tacky or old um, a few years from now? So I think um, the council looks like they're being a bit brave or you know, a little bit outside the box, not something that's too plain and conservative, so we'll just see how we go. We did go to them with a lot of ideas. We just thought, we're not um, urban designers, but... (laughs) But we Googled this. (laughs) (laughs) We spent a long time Googling things that talked to us, and I suppose that's about, you know, going back to community feeling what what it is that they want to see in their community and not just ticking boxes. Yeah, that's really great. And it's exactly the right thing to do, really, when you have this opportunity um, to put that information forward because you don't have to be a built environment professional to have an aesthetic sensibility, to have a a, a spatial feeling, to have a spatial understanding Mm. of what it is you want. Absolutely. Had another text message come in. Hi, Alana. Speaking of the wetlands, do people in Edith Vale have a strong awareness of which direction floodwaters are likely to come from or how many properties are likely to be high risk by 2040? Cheers, Damien Williams. Oh, my first guest on the program. That's a good question. There was an interesting article in The Age a couple of weeks ago around suburbs most likely to be affected by sea level rise. Um, Edith Vale wasn't at the top of the list but it was near (laughs) near the top so that's um something that is going to be a long-term well medium to long-term challenge for places like Edith Vale is how do you design and develop uh, and with the wetlands as well um at the back end of the suburb it's going to be um incredibly challenging I'm sure and a number of creeks and waterways feeding into that too and virtually no stormwater so um and it's not just the the shopping strip that doesn't have stormwater. Most of the the streets don't. They're they're putting some in now along to the Montrose Ave. Um, Upgrades have been slowly happening over yeah my whole yeah. time of living there. Yeah. Could this be perhaps a future focus for the collective once the shopping strip is upgraded? It's not quite as sexy, is it? We're colourful. the stormwater people. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's really important, you know. What I, I find that one one big downpour and it reminds you. Yeah. And they've been shocked by the, the warmth of this winter and the lack of snow this winter. And yeah. I think probably our, our minds, are, uh, while the, the project around the, the shopping strip upgrade is far from complete, 
um, our minds are really turning to activation of spaces. So um, one thing we're looking at now is um, Beeson Reserve. Um, for those who don't know it, is right by the NFL Life Saving Club. It's a really beautiful um, green space. It's not well used. Um, so we are sort of starting to think about how do we advocate for a play space or playground in there. Um, and there is the council has uh, council-owned property in Lockheel Ave, which used to be a, um, the Kinder. Is that right? Um, yes. And the that's being sold. So we're going to be sort of talking to council about how do we make sure that the funds from that sale actually stay in the local community. And by the way, we think this would be a really great way to use those funds because if you can activate that space down by the beach, you draw people in um you know the, the beach is a draw card anyway but the more you can get people down there there are so many young parents in need of fail um so many 30 or 40 somethings that have kids that are looking to take them for a run around if you get those people pouring in there more and more then they're stopping for a coffee at the crowded hour or salt press or picking up a pizza from bogurks or um so that's probably where our minds are turning now i think and you're stitching together those zones of public space too because at the moment with the shopping strip being so bad in edith vale it's the beach that's the main public space that's where people walk where they meet each other yes but once you upgrade the strip and you start building those tributaries if you will those linkings and the stitches we've had a text in come from Hamish from Adelaide, thanks for tuning in again, Hamish. You've become a regular listener for us. That's wonderful. How do you push back against the culture of no within councils long term? How do you get that significant change you talked about? Thanks. So I think lots of chatting to people and just trying to do things in slightly different ways. If it doesn't work one way, then knock on a door and speak to another councillor or another yeah. councillor. You or just don't take no for an yeah. answer. <laughs> um, you find- a, and keep on going in like yeah. a really professional, polite way. Like I think there's there's a lot to be said about being a kind human being and I think people want to work and want to help people out who are actually nice people and not ripping down the doors with anger. I think... I think from a practical point of view too, having a following, so if you have, you know, if you've built a social media community, um, then you have leverage. So um, if you're able to, you know, do some media outreach or, you know, do posts on social that get lots of engagement from a community that's aligned with your view, um, people in positions of power are responsive to them. They monitor those things really closely. I work in sort of corporate comms and PR, so um, I, I monitor things like this and look at sentiment around different issues. So, um, and councils are, are very much in that space because you know they have to get re-elected too. Um, and one of the beauties for us is that we have a really small ward, the Sandpiper Ward, um, and you know you can only piss off so many people in a, sh- a small space before re-election becomes a challenge. So we've found that um, people are responsive to the real politique. <laughs> um, and I, I think for us it's about not having that as the first lever. Like we're not going in and kicking the door saying we're going to go to the media or we're going to embarrass you if you don't do X, Y and Z. It's really about engaging positively, building momentum and then actually publicity or social media outreach just becomes a natural extension of what you're doing. And people you're dealing with, they read that social media post, they're not surprised because you've told them in the room what your view is. And I think we also just put together some really amazing submissions that they that there was no way they could say no because we'd, oh, that's a problem. 
we'll sort that out. This, this is a problem. We'll, we'll close that door for you. We'll, we'll come up with a design for you. It was just like, let's push on and whatever you're saying is the problem, but we'll tackle it. It's a testament also to the skills and talent of people in this area. Yes. Whereas people think, oh, you live so far out from the CBD, you're disengaged and all sorts of pejoratives. Mm. That's not true. There's so it's much amazing really, talent. You just and we've put and when we were making our pop out park, we just put calls out for people to come, and people were painting and doing things, and accountants were helping us out, and you know all sorts of people in the community were putting their hand up to say, "I don't have time to be full time or be in the in the group constantly, but hey, I can come for an afternoon or an hour and give you a hand, and I've got." all these skills. It's really amazing when you it ask is, people. Yeah. It, is. it is. When we were talking to council about the shopping strip upgrade, I remember really vividly we're putting together a presentation to give to council and these are our, our ideas for the concept and what we need to think about. And Jono had some friend who was like a, a traffic engineering expert and he specialised in like pedestrian flows. So he was just, he just like texts his mate and his mate just does this awesome map of showing all the key pedestrian flows and why you should be having this there and that there and you know like you kind of see council going who are these guys i remember presenting to the slide deck i had no idea what i was saying i was just sort of (laughs) repeating but but the 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 point is that when you put the feelers out there are lots of really talented people across a whole range of fields who are more than willing to say hey yeah i can pitch in and as a result at the end of all that people look after the place yeah they care for what they've done they care for what they contributed to the kids remember what projects their parents participated in, what projects they helped with, what signs they painted. That sign's standing. It hasn't been graffitied, hasn't been toppled over. There's no pair of shoes tied by the laces hanging off it. And that's the beauty. It's like if this shopping strip upgrade goes well, and we hope it will, then people will feel like this is something that we did. It wasn't foisted upon us by council. And, you know, people are less likely to complain if they feel like, well, you know, I had a a hand in this or I know the people, <laughs> you know, it's not something that's just been plonked on us and then the council's walked away. Um, you know, we've we've driven it from the ground up, so yeah. to speak, so hopefully there's a bit more connection to it and ownership of it. And I think people notice really poor design or when it's not functioning right. Um, this is no good access for all sorts of people, but when things are designed well and it's just – maybe you don't have that mindset of design but you just flow through a space and you enjoy the space and you go and shop at the space you spend longer there and it's like a snowballing effect of respecting the space then because it's easy to be in I think and a net positive improvement that continues so you feel comfortable with the way the consultation's been going that it's a genuine consultation it's not been a this is what we're doing you haven't been told yeah, so far it's been really um, engaging. So uh, at the moment it's sort of focused on the traders. The council, um, I think, justifiably sees the traders as the sort of primary stakeholder, um, but then we'll be um, consulting with the community after that. I think it's probably the question is how much money do they, you know, we've got $2.3 million allocated. It sounds like a lot. Um, but it's not, it's unfortunately. Not, <laughs> it's not. No. Um, so it'll just be a matter of, I think, how do you take what the community wants and what the traders want and actually deliver it within the envelope that you have. So, um, Of course we'd like it done sooner, but... We're yeah. in for the long road. No, time, cost, <laughs> quality, pick two. Yes. We don't. We I, we're under no illusions that it's going to be 
perfect. Um, there will be no doubt things that we probably would have liked to see done differently, but it's really about just engaging with it and making sure that all the views are on the table. And then we can get the best out of where it is, yeah. I really look forward to seeing it and hopefully there's something brave and exciting in there as well. Yeah. Let's hope there's some, yeah, some kind of art element that's like really unique to Edith. I really hope for that. Mm. Really bold public art would be excellent. I think Kisses have a big push towards that now. It's definitely part of what the council's presented to us so far. There's a, a strong public art sort of um, street paving artwork component to what they're talking about. And also, you know, that's something we can do ourselves as a community. So even if um, what's delivered by the council isn't exactly what we want, we will still be um, actively involved in looking for walls and commissioning murals and things like that. So it's something that we can really control, I think, as a community. What about car parking? Has there been any conversations? Everyone brings up car parking, but I think it's one of these things that it Edith Fowl is what it is. It's not Aspendale where there's parking behind. It's not Chelsea where there's parking behind. But I don't know how you, like, add in more car parking. It's just one of those things that it, it is the way it is. I think the car parking yeah. ship really sailed with the new train station. Mm. So the only way to get additional car parking would have been to, to do Skyrail there. Um, and that hasn't happened. And um, I think there was maybe a, a net gain of two car parks when the new or a net loss, I can't remember, but it was basically the same um, of what we've had before. Um, but it's it's a challenging one. A lot of traders would prefer there's more um, car parking, but I think if we can get the shopping strip right, um, we are a small suburb. You know, it is pretty accessible, so hopefully it's not it's not a huge issue going. Most forward. people walk to the shop by foot. That's yeah. it. That's only my That's experience. What. Lots of bike. Park, proper bike parking and stuff that we hoped for. We, and we did, we had some small changes um, in the Beeson Reserve when we were doing it. There was um, no way of getting out of your car in the disabled spot and actually getting anywhere. So they put a slope on the um, footpath, which was awesome. And we also advocated for um, some more bike parking in between Beeson's Reserve and the Life Saving Club. So I know I ride down to the beach all the time. Um, so somewhere to park your, park your bike when you want to go on the beach. So Sometimes it's just like little small wins uh, can make a big difference in just the way you interact with it or, or other people might interact with a space. A water bubbler as well, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> well, I uh, was walking down the Edithville Strip today and I looked over that large canopy covering the whole wide footpath and thought, well, if we lost a couple of car parks, we could have some trees, mm. some proper big, tall trees. Yeah, absolutely. And how much comfort that would give from the street as well. And then my mind ran to, well, what if we took the 60 kilometres an hour down the, in the car speed a little bit and it would be quieter? How much nicer would your beer at Bogurks be? Yeah, there has been a bit of discussion around that because obviously in Chelsea they've lowered the, the speed limit to 40. Um, it's Monday to Saturday during the during daylight hours roughly. Um, How that makes you feel sitting on the side of the road having a coffee or a beer or just, just being, it's a, it's a different feeling to being in a 60 zone, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. Even 10 decibels quieter, which isn't much, 10 decibels quieter feels like 50% quieter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So dropping that car speed even just to 40, which most people are pretty used to in suburban areas and school streets, would, would go a long way. Absolutely. But, yeah, that's, that's one thing we've chatted about, but definitely leaving that with the people who have the knowledge on these things. On the traffic engineering yes. yeah. component. Yeah. <laughs> 
we've definitely had conversations in this show about active transport um, and more walkable streets. And I think all these ideas and how they interconnect over the last 11 weeks have been really important mm. and to have all these threads that intersect and keep building because now listeners, especially regular listeners, will have a better understanding of what placemaking is mm. and that the work you've done with the signs, with the, with the mural, with the activities in the park, that's an excellent example of placemaking and evidencing that back to council. Yeah, absolutely, and it was we saw glimpses of that in 2017 when we had that 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 work done by the collective at that time, and I think it was I think what connected with people was like how much you could achieve with quite few resources, um, you know, secondhand things and people just pitching in with a bit of paint and elbow grease. So yeah, showing what we want it to be and how we want it to feel, and yeah, well, I really look forward to this project uh, taking off and being realised and then I'm sure there'll be an excellent opening party. There will be a big party. There will be. We'll we'll keep you posted on progress. (laughs) You would have absolutely deserved it as as well. Some dancing down the street with Ash maybe. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, mindful that we should start wrapping up, but I want to ask if there's one number one thing on your wish list for Edith Val, what would it be? To have those shops filled, those empty vacant shops, yeah. It's going to make such a difference if it, it'll feel vibrant, it'll feel loved and cared for and like a place people want to go to. So I think often it's the chicken or the egg when we were starting, like empty shops doesn't convey money wanting to be spent on it and um, now we've got the money going to be spent on it hopefully and we've had amazing people come in. Um, hopefully that'll just keep on snowballing. Yeah, I sometimes think about you know an, an old-fashioned barber shop or something. You know, some some really not just shops, but some really cool. You know, a traditional butcher or a you know some of those. We've got the the ice cream yeah. shop was a real um, turning point, and it was amazing to see the strip just explode because it opened at the height of summer, and they were just. It's like a license to print money. It seemed like at that time there were people out the door and you know kids riding down on their bikes and putting their bikes leaning against the bin and going in for an ice cream and it was just a, a delight to see. So mm. um, yeah, I'm definitely with Kiralee that seeing those places fill up as we're starting to see now um, will be will be fantastic. And I think the collective also when we started it wasn't just about placemaking. It was definitely about bringing community together. So I think going forward we've got lots of post especially post all this footpath stuff happening about bringing maybe markets together or there's lots of local crafty creators in their workshops in their garage or in working from home and like networking them together to collaborate or that we've got ideas about that and bringing I think there's it's wonderful knowing your neighbours and ways that that can happen that's not associated just around maybe playing sport or mothers groups I think Sometimes it can be quite isolating going and living in a new suburb and and maybe you don't work there. How, how do you meet new people if you're not a sporty person? So we want to try and facilitate anything we can that brings people together. That's a really important point. Mm. So what gives you hope? Oh, that's a big question. <laughs> um, I think what what gives me hope and I touched on it earlier in the conversation was that um, 
people really underestimate what they can achieve. And and um, I think when you see even small groups of people just come together with uh, a common cause and purpose, that you can shift the dial. You're not trying to change the world, you're just trying to change your little corner of the world. Um, but if everyone does that, um, and everyone, everyone thinks that, oh, actually, I can make a small difference. Because a lot of people... Um, I suppose particularly in the social media age, like we're all keen to have a big rant and complain about what's wrong, um, but not enough people prepared to say, well, look, let's put together a petition or let's uh, organise a meeting with our councillor or actually let's sit down and say, what are the three things we want and how do we think we can get them? So I think that that makes me feel really hopeful uh, and going through the process of working with the collective has instilled that hope in me that, you know, actually we can change things um, it doesn't happen quickly, and nor should it. Um, you know, it should be hard <laughs> in some respects. Um, so I think that's given me a lot of a lot of hope for what lies ahead for for Edie. One bite at a time. Mm. Exactly. Got to eat that elephant one bite at a time. <laughs> How about you, Curly? Yeah, the power of the people and and dreaming big. I think sometimes it's you know this is what we'd really like, and what are, what are the steps that we can do to get there. And, um, and how can we just ask, just ask for help in the people that live around us? Yeah. Mm. And I think there's great feeling of feeling connected to those people then and welcomed and, and cared for in that community. And I think, yeah, if you've got an idea like this in your community, just reach out on Facebook page. Put, we put handwritten notes in people's um, letterboxes to start off with and just that real like going back to basics to, to connect with your neighbours and your community. It's so important. People are amazing. They'll really surprise you, won't they? Yes, they will. Well, I think that's a great note to end on. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. Thanks for having us. Thanks for joining me for another evening of Radio Architecture with Alana Rasbash. This live show was broadcast and recorded in the Radio Karim studio on Bonnarong Country. You can replay this show wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in and supporting Community Radio. Take care.